Welcome to Grace Harvest Church's weekly podcast. For more information about Grace Harvest Church or to find out more about something you hear during the podcast, visit us online at graceharvestchurch.org. Now listen in and allow God to speak to you through this week's message. If uh, you have a Bible, how many of you still have a, what's known as a paper Bible? Right. How many of you brought your paper Bible? Oh, that's awesome. Okay, well, take your Bible out and open it up to the New Testament book of Galatians. Galatians. And uh, if you have a digital Bible, look up the book of Galatians there. And we're going to go to the second chapter. We're going to be speaking out of the second chapter. And um, I'm going to be sharing a number of different verses and kind of all over the place. But we started a series here a few weeks ago on the book of Galatians, and that series is called Good News of Grace. And today's message is, by law or by faith, that is the question. So last week, I shared with you a couple of different things. The first thing I shared with you is that there are people out in our world today that preach a different gospel, a false gospel. It's no different than the time that the Apostle Paul, when, when he lived, people were preaching a false and a different gospel at the time that he lived. And he is addressing that. In fact, he wrote this letter to the Galatians to address that issue. But it's true today as well. People take Scripture. How many of you know it's possible to take the Bible and to distort it? It's possible to build an entire movement, an entire cult upon scriptures that are taken out of context and twisted and distorted. And so we know that it's no different now than it was at any other time in history. It's possible to take the scripture and to distort it. And we learned last week, as Paul warned them, that there were people that were preaching a different and a distorted gospel. Also, we learned that we're called to preach and to live the true gospel of Jesus Christ, just like Paul did. And we defined what that was. And today, I'm going to kind of go from, I guess you could say, generalizations, and these next few weeks will be this way as well, and we're going to laser light focus on what the gospel is. That term gospel, good news, is the story of God. And when we look in the Bible and we go all the way back to the book of Genesis and we go all the way to the end to the revelation of Jesus Christ and everything in between, what we see is a scarlet thread of redemption moving through the Bible. And this scarlet thread of redemption, this red thread of redemption that ties it all together is telling an overall story. And this story is that humanity has gone their own way and rejected God and rejected His love and in our rebellion we've become enemies against God, and God throughout the Bible and throughout history is on the pursuit. He's the hunter, and he's chasing us down, not that he might slay us, but that he might overcome us with his love and with his grace. And that story culminates in the New Testament, in the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus is the Bible in a body. That's what the scripture tells us in John chapter 1. It says, he's the word made flesh. So we see the whole of God's story 
is now embodied in Jesus. And so if we really want to know how God feels about mankind, what he thinks about mankind, and where he is going in his story with mankind, we look at the person of Jesus, and in Jesus we see the embodiment of the big story of God, the God who chases, the God who pursues, and the God who ultimately dies and pours out his blood that he might win a bride back to himself and might gain a body and that's called the church. Is that making sense to anyone? So that's the story of the Bible. That's the overall idea behind the Bible. And today we're going to look at Galatians chapter 1. And I'm going to actually, you know, kind of encapsulate verses 1 through 16. But I really want to start with the key verse today. And that is Galatians 2, 16. The first part of the verse, it's going to be up on the screen. And I want you to notice what this says. It says, yet we know that a person is made right with God by faith in Jesus Christ, not by obeying the law. Can I read that again? In fact, will you read it with me? How many of you are okay with reading out loud? I know the rest of you are going to just mumble, right? Watermelon, 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 watermelon. Okay, no watermelons. Okay, let's read it out loud together. Come on, let's, let's do something maybe some of us haven't done since we were in elementary school. Let's, let's read it out loud. Galatians 2.16a, we're just going to read the first part of it. Yet we know that a person is made right with God by faith in Jesus Christ, not by obeying the law. You know, I know a guy who comes from a really broken background. When he hit his teenage years, he began to engage in the same behavior as his own father before him. He began to use drugs, sleep around, sell drugs, and engage in shameful activities that he began to live in. Because of that, he began to live in terrible guilt and terrible shame. After being kicked out of his house for good at the age of 17, he went deeper and deeper into darkness. His family largely rejected him. He lived from place to place, and he was always on the edge of ruin. His girlfriend became pregnant, and they agreed to abort the child. One night, while feeling overwhelming shame and guilt after a New Year's Eve party, where he got so high and so drunk that he passed out and blacked out, he remembered that he'd learned about God as a child. As he sat alone watching TV in the apartment of a friend and his dad, he decided to pray. He prayed that God would please forgive him. And help him change his life. Because he knew he was powerless to stop doing the bad stuff. The wrong stuff. He prayed that God would help him to get a job. And be a better person. He promised he would serve God if these things happened. And his story is that God's presence came into the room. And something began to happen. Slowly, almost imperceptibly within his own heart. Within one year... That young man had begun a new life in Jesus Christ, been reconciled with his estranged father, who had been a drug addict and a convict and was now a preacher, and had started a journey toward being a pastor of a church. That young man is me. It all happened because God offered the free gift of his son Jesus to me, and that young man believed what God offered and embraced that gift. And that story is told over and over again in different ways, 
But it's the story of most or many of you in this room. You have this story of God's pursuit of you in spite of your rebellion, in spite of you going your own way, and Him redeeming a life that would have been a wreck. And that includes the ones of you that have grown up in the church and been good kids. Because you're most at risk. You truly are. It's really easy to start to think that the reason you're a pretty good person, you've had a pretty good life, and you're all right is because, you know, I'm all right. I mean, I'm, I'm pretty good. I mean, I could never do that stuff that those people do. But what you don't realize is the thing that has protected you, preserved you, and kept you is the grace of God. And we're all the same. If we were left to ourselves in certain circumstances, we have a bent in us toward wrong, toward rebellion from God. So what did God do? He chased us, he pursued us, he ran us down, and he loved us. And if you've come to know him here today, that is simply because he offered you a free gift, and that gift is called grace, and grace is found in a person, and that person is Jesus Christ. Jesus, the Messiah of Nazareth. He is Savior, King, Lord of the world. Amen. And it's really important for us to understand because You know, when Paul wrote this letter, and we shared this last few weeks, he had started a church in the region of Asia Minor, known as Galatia. And in that region, there were a number of churches that he was a part of starting. And these churches began running with God. They'd been encountered by the grace of God. And many of the people in the churches were what we call Gentiles. And Gentiles are non-Jewish believers. Okay, so they'd begin to follow Jesus. And they'd been forgiven and loved. And if you know anything about the Roman Empire, man, they were into some really weird stuff. It was dark, right? So they'd been rescued. They'd been saved, delivered. And they were going along in their journey, and some teachers came along. And these teachers were Jewish teachers. And they had come, some of them had come from Jerusalem. And so the first thing you do if you're a Gentile believer in the world at that time is you look at Jewish believers and you consider that they have authority because they're the line that you got your truth from. And so they received these Jewish teachers into the church. But these Jewish teachers, teachers came to them and they said, yeah, gee, I'm glad you found Jesus. I'm glad Jesus has come to you. But I'm going to tell you, what Paul's been telling you is not quite enough. If you want to really follow the Lord deeply, If you want to really know what it is to be in there in the inner circle with him, then you need to remember to go back to following the Jewish law of Moses. And all you men in the church, you need to get circumcised. Wow. That's a step of faith right there, huh? You need to be circumcised, and we need to follow the feast schedule. And you need to do the Sabbath on Saturday. And if you want to be a part of what God's doing, here are some rules And they're contained in the commandments in the Mosaic Law. And if you do those and love Jesus, you can be a part of what God's doing. And they went, okay. And so they began to observe it. And Paul found out about this. And he became extremely angry because he saw them putting a yoke. He saw them attaching things that the gospel didn't require to the people. And so he writes this letter. And he dispenses with the niceties. And he he challenges them. And he comes to them and he says, no, 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 you don't need all of that. You have Jesus. 
all of the law, all the commandments, all the feasts, all the Sabbath days, those were all shadows, those were all types, those were all symbols that were moving toward Jesus of Nazareth. But when you find Jesus, all of that stuff's fulfilled in him. And so he's writing them, challenging them, and he, he even comes to a point where he confronts Peter. If you know the Bible, Peter's like, right? He's like the great apostle. He was the one who was with Jesus all the time, right? Jesus had the 12, but he also had the three, Peter, James, and John. And when he went up on mountains and he went away into the garden and he went to secret places, those three were always with him. So he was in the inner circle and he was considered the early church spokesperson. He was probably the most, most famous follower of Jesus in the world. But Paul even comes to Peter because Peter was being a hypocrite. See, Peter would hang out with Gentiles and eat with them. If you know anything about the ancient world at that time, Jews and Gentiles would not have a meal together because when you brought someone into your home, you were saying, I attach myself to you. And Jews considered Gentiles to be dogs. And so it's like, you can't come into my house because if you come into my house, you'll make me dirty, spiritually dirty, so I can't have you in my home. But Peter had received the gospel, the good news, and he knew this isn't the truth. And so what he does is he goes and he eats with Gentiles and he's celebrating them. And then he finds out some of these Jewish teachers, these Judaizers, are coming to visit. And when they come to visit, Peter all of a sudden acts like he doesn't know these Gentiles and he withdraws and he goes and eats a meal with them. So Paul comes to Peter and to all the apostles and he says, you're hypocrites. What have you done? We see this in the 11th through the 14th verses. Notice it with me. He says, but when Peter came to Antioch, can we go to verse 11? Uh, 11? 11. There we go. But when Peter came to Antioch, Paul writing, I had to oppose him to his face for what he did was very wrong. But when he arrived, he ate with the Gentile believers who were not circumcised. But afterwards, when some friends of James came, Peter wouldn't eat with the Gentiles anymore. He was afraid of criticism from these people who insisted on the necessity of circumcision. As a result, other Jewish believers followed Peter's hypocrisy, and even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. When I saw that they were not following the truth of the gospel message, I said to Peter in front of all the others, since you, a Jew by birth, have discarded the Jewish laws and are living like a Gentile, why are you now trying to make these Gentiles follow the Jewish traditions? What's he saying? Peter, you know the gospel doesn't require all that stuff. We're free. We're free. So why would you, why would you become like those who are opposing the gospel. And he rebuked him, and Peter had to admit he was right. Now, I know some of you are sitting here right now, and maybe I've started to lose you. I hope I haven't. But the thing we always ask ourselves in a message like this is, so what? Right? How does this relate to me? I'm glad you asked. And that's what I want to go to next, is I want to go to the key verse, and I want to apply it to your life. Because what I want you to see is the things that happened 2,000 years ago with Judaizers who were bringing a false message are pretty similar to things we do today. Because we, as human beings, listen, the fall did something to us. It twisted us in our thinking, and it made us think that we could come up with moral codes to make our way back to God. If we just work hard enough and do good enough and keep all the rules, God will love us. And what I'm going to show you today is that that is the same thing 
that Peter and the Judaizers were doing. They were giving a message that was not the good news. It was a false message. So good news is being made right with God through Jesus Christ, our opening verse. Let's look at verse 16 again, and I want you to to notice what he says. He says, yet we know that a person is made right with God by faith in Jesus Christ, not by obeying the law. And we have believed in Christ Jesus so that we might be made right with God because of our faith in Christ, not because we've obeyed the law, for no one will ever be made right with God by obeying the law. So a person can't be made right with God by keeping the rules. And what law is Paul speaking of here? He's speaking of the Old Testament commandments, all the ritual laws, the Ten Commandments, the moral laws, the purification laws, the food laws. How many of you love bacon? How many of you are glad that we don't have to stay away from bacon? Now, you might do that because you have a conviction about it, because it's not healthy, but you can't say that eating bacon, I don't think it's all that unhealthy because it makes me happy. And when I'm happy, endorphins go on in my head and flow through my body, and that's got to have some kind of health benefit, right? Or, you know, how many of you like lobster, shrimp, crab? All of those things, right, were forbidden in the Old Testament law. We can enjoy them now. And see, all those laws were things that these false teachers were trying to put on the people and say, you can't really be in there with God unless you, you do these things. Or listen, not just food laws and feast keeping and and fasts and Sabbath, but how about any other human effort or any other list that we come up with to make ourselves right with God? And we do it all the time. In fact, I'm going to put something in front of you. I believe it's the default in human nature when a person begins to think about the idea of God and wanting to know more about Him, what's the first thing we do? Okay, I can't, I, I hear, I've heard people say, well, I think maybe I, I should look about going into, look into going to church, but I got to get my, my act cleaned up first. Let me see. I got to make sure I didn't drink too much on Saturday night because they'll smell the alcohol in my breath. Come on. I got to clean up, probably shave. Dude's got to shave. Lady's got to do your hair, right? And then you go to your closet and you're like, nothing is good enough for church. And what do we do? We do what Adam and Eve did. After they sinned and they fled from God, they hid behind the trees of the garden and they fashioned themselves fig leaves and they got all dressed up for God and covered their naked spots and then they came before the Lord like, you know, here we are. We, in our self-effort, made ourselves acceptable to you. And God says, away with all of that. I don't want your fig leaves. Your fig leaves don't do anything for me. It's the same thing that we do. We we think, well, I got to act a certain way. I got to watch... I got to be really watching my language today. I'm going to walk in there, maybe meet the pastor, and an F bomb might come out. Right? I mean, we think that way, especially if you're new in your journey. You got to clean it up. You got to get your act together. You got to get religious. And then we have a moment when God begins to move on us, and we want to put faith in Him, and we want to trust, and we want to walk with Him. But this thing comes in us that says, You're not worthy. You're not cleaned up enough. You blew it last night. You blew it last week. You don't live right. You're not worthy of God. And so you are not acceptable to Him. And we really believe that is what Christian religion is it's clean up your act, get right, be good, follow the rules. And once you've done all that, God will accept you. 
And what I am here to tell you is that is exactly the antithesis, the opposite of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel of Jesus Christ doesn't care. Well, it does care. It crucified Christ, but it's not your behavior, your rule keeping, all of that. None of that can make you acceptable and beloved to God. so powerful. See, a person can't be right by obeying the law. And I want to ask you, what law codes or lists are you keeping? Or I should say, trying to keep. Because we all know, we try for a while, right? I've actually had people come up to me and tell me they keep all the commandments and live right and stuff. And I'm like, no, you already broke one of them right there. You're a liar. Because I know better. I'm human. No matter how hard you try. Right? Okay, so we'll pray for you. So I came up with what I call an American Christian culture law list. And I'm going to touch some buttons right now. So you ready to go there with me? Here we go. The first one. Well, I, I, like, I, I, I preface it with this. This is the... Don't cuss, don't drink, don't chew, and don't run with the girls or guys that do. Right? That's our list. And it starts with things like this. Make sure you read your Bible every day. See, if you're reading your Bible to get points with God, and you're afraid that your relationship with Him is hanging in the balances because you miss days or weeks, you are trusting in your law and your own good works to make you right with God. We read our Bible because we are right with God, because of Jesus alone. And we want to know Him better. We read the Bible out of a response of love and relationship, not because in the back of our mind, man, I missed a day, and we hear that voice. What kind of Christian are you? If you want God to be happy with you, you need to read your Bible. And then a week goes, a month goes, it gathers dust. And I'm not saying those are good things, but if the motivation is I got to read it or God will be mad at me and things won't be right between us, you've begun to actually try to make yourself right with God through your own behavior. That's law keeping. Secondly, pray every day. If you're praying to get points with God and you're afraid that your relationship with Him is hanging in the balances because you miss days or weeks of prayer, you're trusting in the law and your own good works to make you right with God. We pray because we are right with God through faith in Christ alone, and we want to know Him better, right? Prayer is a response to love and relationship. When you know you're loved and you've been wrecked by that love, ruined in a good way by that love. That love has done something inside of you. And if you've ever experienced God's love, you know that you immediately want to be like, I love you, Lord. What, what would you have me to do? Think about your own human relationships. When you meet somebody that you really love or you have that child that you love, right? When you, or or you, you meet the person who's your spouse and they love you. And it really affects you deeply. Like to be loved for who you are is a powerful, powerful thing. What do you want to do? You want to love back. That's why we make promises. That's why we buy gifts. We're saying back, 
I love you. It's a response, right? Or go to church every week. Now, how many of you know this is a dangerous one for a pastor to talk about, right? If you want to be right, you got to go to church every week. Listen, if you're attending church to get points with God and you're afraid that your relationship with Him is hanging in the balances because you miss weeks, you are trusting in the law and your own good works to make yourself right with God. We are part of the church because we are right with God through faith in Christ alone. And we want to know Him better through other people. Church involvement is a response to love, relationship, and maturity. The reason that you get involved in a church is because you find other people who are on the same journey with you, some ahead of you, some behind you, some beside you. They're either further down the road or you're going to help them move along. And through mutual encouragement, through scripture, through prayer, through building each other up, and at times even through saying, stop that, what are you doing? That'll lead to ruin. Come on, man. That's mutual encouragement and life together. That's why we do church. You don't do church because, you know, if I go a certain number of times in the year, then I'm a good Christian. Am I talking to anybody? How about giving a percentage of your money to God? Dave shared a great word. But look, if you're giving tithes and offerings or doing things even to be noticed by people or to get points with God, and you're afraid that your relationship is hanging in the balances because you don't give enough, you're trusting in the law and your own good works, and that is not faith in Christ. Amen? Giving is a response to love and relationship. Listen, for those of you who struggle with the idea of giving, you know, churches always want your money, blah, 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 right? I mean, we hear that, right? Here's the real bottom line issue. First of all, churches need money to do their mission. That, I mean, let's be honest. They need money to do their issue. We, we, love, we love having pastors there. We love having, you know, ministries. We love having counseling. We love having good worship and preaching and all the things we do in the community you know, reaching out to schools and whatever we do. Those are all great, but they all take money to do, right? But that's the bottom line is we give because we're loved. And we recognize, when you begin to recognize, well, everything I have is a gift from God. My, my mind, my hands, my body, my ability to do the job that I do, my ability to make wealth, to make money, whatever it may be, that's all a gift from God. And what do I do? In my response to God, because I love Him, I give some of it back. It's natural, that's a, that's, just, that's a sign of a healthy relationship. A healthy relationship is you've been blessed because you've been given to. What do you do? You give back, and that's how all relationships work. Okay, here's one. I don't listen to secular music. That's a good one in the Christian world. Listen, if you're not listening to secular music to get points with God and you're afraid that your relationship with Him is hanging in the balances because you love some country some classic rock, or some rap. You're trusting in the law of God and your own good works to make you right with God. We guard what we listen to because we are right with God through faith in Christ. And we want to know Him better. What we listen to is a response to love and relationship and maturity in Christ. You're free. You're free. So next time a Christian comes along to you and tells you, Christians don't listen to secular music, say, that's not my Christianity. I'm free. God has entrusted me with a stewardship of my own life. Because here's the problem, and I think you'll get this. Rules are easy. And don't get me wrong, rules are hard to keep. But if you can build your life around a series of rules, it doesn't even require relationship. There's a lot of Christians out there right now. There are a lot of Christians out there 
who have put faith in Jesus and at one point in their walk with in, in the beginning of their walk they had a real relationship and then they defaulted into rule keeping and lists and somewhere along the line they've bought into this idea that if they'll do this check this box check this box check this box check this box and they do all of that that equals I'm good with God and yet their heart is far from him that's why God said through the Old Testament prophets, he rebuked them, the people of Israel, because they were keeping all these feasts, they were doing all these different things, they were making sacrifices, but he said, your hearts are far from me. You're not doing anything out of love for me, it's all just noise and, and, and yuck. He's actually said, you know, the, the Hebrew translation is yuck. I don't want your yuck, because it's about relationship. See, we listen to what we listen to because we love God, right? Our response is out of love. And so be free. Be free in Jesus. But listen, if you start to find you're listening to stuff and all of a sudden your behavior's changing and you're, you're getting icky and yucky and you're battling with lust thoughts and you're, you're doing, you know, and you're, the music that you're listening to is influencing you, then now you have the stewardship with God and God speaks to you and he says, see, this isn't healthy for you. It's like eating junk food. It just makes you sick. Okay? So, so then you move in relationship. Am I talking to anybody? We don't watch R-rated or secular movies. Same thing. Well, we're a good family. We watch PGs, and every once in a while, we sin a little bit and do a PG-13. But those are ours. Right? You're like, seriously? Chapter and verse, right? We don't drink alcohol. There's others. There's a whole list. Listen, if you're not drinking alcohol to get points with God and you're afraid that your relationship with Him is hanging in the balances because you're tempted to have beer or wine or whatever, you're trusting in the law and your own good works to make you right with God. So if you do drink, you drink in moderation or you abstain because you are right with God through faith in Christ alone and you want to know Him better. Drinking moderately or abstaining is a response to love and relationship and maturity in Christ. And why is that important? Because there are groups of Christians out there that will say drinking any alcohol at all is a sin. It's not a sin. But you have to know yourself. How many of you know you got to know yourself? For some people, drinking alcohol is a sin. Because to drink alcohol will lead to abuse of alcohol. They can't drink it. But there are other people that are free, and they can drink, and it do, they, don't, they don't drink one and then have to have two and then three and five and ten and then lay on the floor making an idiot of themselves, right? But see, if I make it a rule... That's easy. I check the box. But if I say to you, you have a stewardship of grace and relationship. And God is entrusting you to care for your own walk with Him and steward that walk with Him. And so you have to discern in your relationship with God if you can drink. And I'm telling you, there's a lot of people I know that shouldn't touch the stuff. But that should come out of a relationship with Jesus Christ. And there are other people that are free. And here's the problem we have in the body of Christ. We have the people that are free making fun of the people that don't have the freedom, or we have the people that don't have the freedom condemning the people who do. And the Scripture forbids us from doing either. Read Romans chapter 14, right? And so we have the stewardship. See, it's really easy for a pastor or a leader to tell you how to live. That's another one. I'll just do what he says. No. How dare you? Don't you put that on me. Can't you imagine you stand before God at the end of your life and he says, so what'd you do with your life? Uh, whatever Pastor Doug said. <laughs> no. That is the worst thing you could do. 
See, what's free for me will run you into a ditch. Right? And so, so what do you say? Lord, I, I, I stewarded this walk with you. I trusted your grace and your truth. I trusted you to lead me and guide me. And I grew in my relationship with you. And over time, you showed me some things were good for me and some things weren't. And I learned how to listen to your voice. And I learned how to discern you. And over time, I came to know you more and more. That sounds like gold. Actually treating God like a person that's knowable. So a person is made right with God by faith in Jesus Christ. And I'm going to end with a story, and I have more, but I have to end. (laughs) This is from a sermon by Matt Chandler called Remembering Your Creator, and this is what he says. He says, the litmus test of whether or not you understand the gospel is what you do when you fail. Do you run from God and go try to clean yourself up a bit before you come back into the throne room, before you come back to prayer or worship or whatever? Or do you approach the throne of grace with confidence? If you don't approach the throne of grace with confidence, you don't understand the gospel. You are most offensive to God when you come to Him with all of your efforts, when you're still trying to earn what's freely given. I remember years ago, I was really struggling And I just felt like, and this is while I was pastoring this church, but I just felt like I couldn't seem to get it right, just blowing it, just angry with myself and feeling ashamed about coming into the presence of God. And one day while I was praying, feeling terrible, I was just talking to God, this revelation came to me, claim His cross. Claim what he did. And I started saying to the Lord, you know, Lord, what I did here, and I started naming my stuff, that's what you died on the cross for. That's what you gave it for. And I started saying, so the scripture says that because you died on the cross, that's forgiven. And you cast it in a sea of forgetfulness, and it's not remembered anymore. And the scripture indicates that your blood is enough. And when you hung on the cross, one of your last words was, it is finished. And I just began to talk to God about what the scripture says. And as I was claiming all these promises and realizing that I was forgiven, it struck me. Anytime I sin, anytime I blow it, anytime I fall short, the best thing I can do is flee to him, not from him, because he is the only refuge. And in him, we find shelter, forgiveness, and love. Amen. You are a son, a daughter of the Most High God. When you fall, run to Papa. Run to your Father. There's room on His lap. There's room on His throne for you. Let's stand.